message today is entitled Spiritual Unity. There are many things going on in the world today that are happening as a result of COVID-19. Many are taking preventative measures to stay safe and healthy, while many others are reacting in a variety of ways based on their own perspective of the situation. Social distancing, self-quarantining, and avoidance of places and people has unfortunately become the new norm. The world is definitely a different place today than it was a month ago or even a couple weeks ago. Much of the reaction on social media and in the news has taken the form of three different C responses. Let me explain. People are either being cautious or they are complaining or they are using comedy to keep things light and not get too serious. Each of these sides tends to get agitated with the others for either being too cautious or for not being serious enough. As a result, we are seeing another example of division in our country. Politics have been divided as ever, as Congress recently took way too long to help pass a measure to help our country. Meanwhile, the media only serves to exacerbate this problem, this divide, as they focus their attention on the differences of the other side's perspective. There is no shortage of casting blame at every turn and with every decision being made. Lines of division are affecting every sector of society as people make decisions based on their needs and on their perspectives. But why is the division so strong now? We must understand that what is going on throughout the world today is more than just plain division that we're so accustomed to, unfortunately. What's going on in the world today is a spiritual attack from the enemy. And he is using people to do his bidding as they attack and blame and judge one another. In fact, the President of the United States has acknowledged, like many others, that we are fighting an invisible enemy. But the problem with fighting the invisible enemy is that it is more deceptive than you think. The problem with fighting an invisible enemy is that sometimes you fight the wrong enemy. You see, as bad as this virus is, the main enemy is not the virus. The main enemy is the spiritual attack against Christian unity. If we just write this off as normal complaining and, and write off this d- division as part of everyday way of life, we risk thinking that it can be solved by human means, such as passing legislation or by following the directives of the government or some other charismatic leader or organization or movement. Now, while these people and institutions may take off some of the burden of the people and businesses, we cannot underestimate what is going on in the spiritual realm. But why has it accelerated now? And what can the church do to counteract it? Well, this is what I want to share with you today as we dive deep into God's Word. As we approach Holy Week as a church and as a body, I want to draw your attention to a prayer that Jesus made, a prayer that took place following the Last Supper and before He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and taken away. It can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. 
Jesus begins, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word, that they all may be one, as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that You sent Me, and the glory which You gave Me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and You in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that You have sent Me and have loved them as You have loved Me. See, Jesus' prayer was that we all would be one so that the world would know that God sent Jesus. Isn't that what our life is supposed to be about as Christians? Is to let the world know about Jesus. There have been so many efforts by modern evangelists attempting to share the good news of Jesus around the world. Yet Jesus clearly states in this prayer that this could only be accomplished if we are one as the body of Christ. Our spiritual unity is more important and more powerful than any of us could realize. In this passionate prayer by Jesus, He states His earnest desire for oneness five different times. But God's desire for unity did not begin with this prayer by Jesus. From the very beginning, the core of God's message was spiritual unity. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of the most sacred Scriptures for all Jewish people, known as the Shema, which is a portion of Scripture that they hold close to their hearts and their minds. As various other religions sought to worship many gods, Christianity is solidly based on the fact that there is only one God. In fact, when Jesus came to this world, He could hardly believe that people didn't understand the unity of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 9, we pick up this exchange between Jesus and Philip when Philip asks Jesus to show him the Father. Verse 9 Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You see, if we are truly seeking the Lord and taking time to know God by spending time with Jesus and in His Word through prayer, the Holy Spirit will testify to each of us that God indeed is one. Yet throughout time, the enemy has sought to separate and divide and work against the oneness of God and the unity of His people. To this day, Satan continually works through many people to bring division. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, we see, Jesus tells us that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So my question is, what is he trying so hard 
to steal and kill and destroy? And the answer is right now, He is trying to steal, kill, and destroy spiritual unity. Let me show you an example of what the enemy seeks to do. You see, when the tempter came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tried to divide the hypostatic union of Jesus, for Jesus was fully God and fully man. The enemy came to tempt Jesus to quit, to not go through with it, both because people didn't really care and they didn't really appreciate all he was doing, but also because this, uh, what Jesus would go through would be so painful. It'd be impossible to endure, the tempter was telling him. Satan certainly felt that he was getting close to separating God and God's will from Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, as Jesus began to cry out and even sweat blood, the enemy had to think that he was dividing Jesus himself. In the enemy's mind, he was doing more than just dividing him. In the enemy's mind, he was destroying the oneness of God. Satan thought he was winning. In fact, for a brief moment, he thought he had actually separated the two, especially on the cross. After Jesus underwent the trial and the accusations, the beatings and the scourging and the torture, the enemy thought he was breaking Jesus down. Then Jesus was deserted by his closest friends. He was mocked by his enemies and he was nailed to a cross. The devil surely thought that he was about to separate this divine unity, especially as Jesus neared physical death. We pick it up in Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now maybe you didn't catch it, but did you see what happened right here in this moment? Because this is the moment where the enemy thought he had won. But probably not for the reason you might think. You see, many of you are saying, yeah, I can see it. This is where Jesus seems to be giving up hope and saying, why have you forsaken me? But it's deeper than that. This is one of the most monumental sequences of statements that Jesus makes. Why? Because up to this point, Every time Jesus addressed God or talked about God, He always referred to Him as Father. Luke 2, 49. And He said to them, Why did you seek Me? Did you not know that I must be about My Father's business? John 14, 2. In My Father's house there are many rooms. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus always called Him His Father. That is, until now, on the cross. 
fulfilling a messianic prophecy from Psalm 22. Jesus now in this moment cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, for the first time, Jesus did not call him his Father, but rather, my God. It was here that Satan thought that he had won. It was here that Satan wanted to start his victory lap. Satan thought that the separation was complete. He thought that he had destroyed the connection between God the Father and God the Son. He thought that he had broken the Shema and destroyed the oneness with God. But understand the rest of the story. First of all, Jesus was not giving up hope and faith when He said this. He simply was bringing what was spoken to Him in the darkness and taking it into the light. In other words, He was exposing the enemy by speaking out loud the temptation that was being thrown at Him. Can you see it? Jesus is hanging on the cross. His disciples have left Him. His people have given up on Him to be arrested and crucified. And now, no one comes to His rescue. And at the lowest of lows for Jesus, Satan begins whispering in His ear, If you are the Son of God, where is your Father now? Why has your God forsaken you? Choosing to let God the Father fight back for Him, Jesus is not asking why as much as He is exposing the question so God can answer for Him. And when Jesus exposed it in the open to God, He was infused with strength and determination and resolve to make one more final statement. You see, these were not the final words of Jesus on the cross. Mustering up His last ounce of strength and determination before He breathed His last breath, Jesus spoke once more. Luke 23 Verse 46, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Having said this, He breathed His last. Did you see it? With time running out when it seemed that the enemy had succeeded in breaking the most powerful relationship in history, when it seemed that Jesus had nothing left, He connected with the Father. By this final act, Jesus went into the grave with momentum and power by which He would rise again and redeem all mankind, including you and me. The enemy was unsuccessful in separating the oneness of God. And although this was a huge blow to the enemy, he has not stopped his attempts to bring division. He simply has turned his focus to God's people. This is what we're seeing right now. He still comes to steal and kill and destroy the works of God, which are the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 tell us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
All these things create unity in the body as brothers and sisters focus less on themselves and more on each other. We focus less on ourselves because we know that God is taking care of us. That is trust and faith. Trusting God allows us to bear fruit and keep the body of Christ together. That is our mission, church, right now, to stay together as the body of Christ. However, when the enemy uses fear and confusion and complaining and blame, he unsettles the body and causes Christian brothers and sisters to wander from the Word, to focus more on themselves than on one another. In other words, the enemy steals and kills and destroys the fruit of the Spirit when we stray from our daily dependence on God and His living Word. If we buy into these temptations, we begin to worry and care only about ourselves, thinking we need to take care of ourselves only. In other words, the lies that seep into our minds are that God is not going to take care of us. We start to be tempted. Look around. God is not taking care of us. Look around. I can't trust that God's going to take care of me, so I need to take care of myself. These are temptations. These are lies. The enemy does this through inciting fear, which is counterproductive to faith. Satan could not stop Jesus. But he is working overtime to stop Jesus' prayer that we all would be one. Do you see the power and responsibility we have as the body of Christ? Right now, we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer as we come together as one. When we realize the full extent of this spiritual attack, we will respond as one. We will not be shaken. We will come together as the body of Christ. Amen? We will draw inseparably close to the Father. And we will seek to be of one mind and of one spirit. We will bear one another's burdens. We will connect with one another faithfully. And we will pray for and with one another in the Spirit. And we will trust God through it all. That is our call for such a time as this. The body of Christ coming together. The Apostle Paul gives us this charge. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 6. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. As we stay in His Word and in His will, we are called to bear with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It is the unity of the Spirit that preserves the body of Christ. 
It is our acknowledgement of this very truth that solidifies us in God, our Father. By standing on this truth, fear cannot touch us. Confusion finds no place to enter. Despair just moves on to bother someone else. And perfect love reigns in our hearts and in our homes and in our families and in our church. As we stand for one another, endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of peace, we become the answer to Jesus' prayer that we all may be one. This is true spiritual warfare. Amen.